Well, good morning. It is a joy to gather together to sing and to remind ourselves where our attention and focus should be, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. But we do need that reminder and that uh, time of coming together because life is hard. As the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, life under the sun is toilsome. It is difficult. And praise be to God that he gave us the church. He gave us the body that we can come alongside to encourage one another. Have you ever showed up somewhere unprepared? Whether from negligence, misunderstanding, or just flat-out ineptness. When I was in seminary, there were times where I'd be asked to help fill in and preach at different area churches. There was one time I was asked to preach at a Native American Indian church in downtown L.A. Seems like a bit of a contradiction. They didn't just want someone to fill in. They had some requests. They wanted the person to pick up in the text where the last person left off. So as a a young, naive seminary student, I said, sure, where is that? It's Leviticus 2. It's the grain offerings. (laughs) Great. Anybody can pick up right there. In addition, they wanted me to preach from the King James Version. I said, okay, that's not what I typically study from, but okay. So I set out to study, had the directions, showed up, at least and I did, and uh, we showed up Sunday morning. That was an adventure in and of itself for another time. Turns out we were a little bit early, so they directed us to the morning Bible study, and we sit down, and after about 15 or 20 minutes, everyone is showing up. And I noticed everyone's looking at me. I'm looking back. I'm wondering when this thing's going to get started. It turns out they wanted me to teach the Bible study as well and to pick up right where they left off in the King James Version. Thankfully, this time it was John, so I was a bit more familiar with it. And so I did what any good Bible teacher does. I just started asking questions, <laughs> made them answer. Made it through Sunday school. I thought the worst was over. That was until we were about to start singing, and I went to grab my notes out of my Bible, and they weren't there. I lean over to Elise and and whisper, you have my notes, right? She gives me this quizzical look, why would I have your notes? (laughs) I quickly dash out to the car. People are starting to sing at this point. They may have thought at this point I was making an escape. I come back in a couple minutes later. Elise said, did you find them? I said, nope. She said, well, what are you going to do? You have some... Very spiritual, profound answer, like, uh, we'll see. (laughs) When the music stopped, I got up, I preached from the King James Bible on the grain offerings with no notes, and you can stop looking, that sermon was never recorded. (laughs) You know, there are plenty of instances in life where being unprepared can be quite humorous and harmless, but there are also situations where it can be quite dangerous. Imagine if you got on a plane before taking off, the pilot gets on and says, thank you for joining us today, this is my first time flying. Or a soldier goes into training, goes into battle with no training. Someone rushes to put out a fire who has never been trained along with a fireman. Or someone goes to begin, someone with no preparation and no training performs open heart surgery. I think we can all agree that preparation as a whole is a very good thing in almost every area of life. Well, this morning, Jesus reminds us through a parable that preparation is not just important in this life, it is important for the life to come. More than that, he warns us of the extreme danger 
of presuming upon the patience, the mercy, and the grace of God when it comes to eternal life and our lack of preparedness. Our lesson this morning is in the context of Jesus' instruction to be ready for the day of the Lord, to be ready for his coming. And these instructions, like we saw last week, are especially for those who should know better. It's for those who have an idea of who Jesus is, who have heard the word preached. And so if you haven't already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin right there in verses 1 through 13. And this is a parable that may be somewhat familiar to you, but I encourage you to listen carefully Because it contains an important and sobering warning, not to presume, but to prepare. Not to be preoccupied with guessing the timing, but be busy preparing. Follow along with me as we read. Then, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, No. There will not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the dealers, buy some for yourselves. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to this parable that was given so many years ago, Father, would we understand the implication and application to our lives today? Would we come away prepared through our study this morning? Would your spirit work in our hearts and our minds Quicken hearts that have not turned to you, convict hearts that have, that we would do more to prepare for your coming. In your name, amen. This parable begins with a powerful king. It's a story about the kingdom. Not just any kingdom, but the kingdom of God. And the parable provides an analogy of the Son of God who will come again to reign over his kingdom. Many of you may be familiar with it, but the Old Testament portrays the Lord, Yahweh, as the husband of his people. Isaiah 54, 5, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. That theme is repeated throughout the Old Testament, and it paves the way for Jesus as the messianic son of God to be pictured as, in this case, a bridegroom. And it occurs more than just this place. Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15, Then the disciples of John came to him, that is to Jesus, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but 
your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will not fast. Jesus in his ministry has already introduced this analogy, this concept of himself as the bridegroom. These 13 verses then are a parable or story about Jesus, the divine bridegroom, and the night of his wedding. A wedding at which some get in to celebrate with him and others don't. It's the happy story of five wise bridesmaids and the sad story of five foolish bridesmaids. And as we study this story, we're going to look and learn from three sets of characters. We're going to go through this text three times, each time looking at one of these characters. And we'll begin with the virgins, and we'll break them up into their two groups. The virgins are those we would call today bridesmaids. They're young women who are not yet married. And the focus of the parable is on them and the bridegroom. In our culture, again, we would simply call the bridegroom the groom. Now, it's clear from the term bridegroom and bridesmaids that this is a wedding scene. We just need a little bit of help understanding what Jewish weddings in the first century look like because they don't look like our weddings. On the day of the wedding, the bride and groom would have already been betrothed, and it was much more serious than an engagement. It actually required a divorce to break a betrothment. But there was this time of waiting for the marriage ceremony. And on the day of the wedding, usually a Wednesday, the bridegroom and his party, who are usually comprised of some close friends, made their way to either the home of the bride or to some other prearranged meeting place. There's a record of a wedding in which two parties, one of the bridegroom and his friends, the other of the bride and her party, they went out to meet one another. When they came together, the wedding ceremony took place. And after this, there was a procession all together to the home of the bridegroom where feasting took place. And it went on for often days. The processions often took place at night when torches or large lamps made for a beautiful display as they paraded through the streets. And we find the same thing in Jesus' parable. These ten Bridesmaids were involved in going out to meet the bridegroom. It implies that they belonged to the bride's party. They went out to some place where the bridegroom and his party would meet them. They would have their place in the wedding and in that procession afterward to the bridegroom's home for the post-wedding festivities. Festivities which, again, might last several days and would formally begin once they arrived at the groom's home. Well, the scene opens on these ten virgins. They're part of the bride's wedding party. They're invited guests to the wedding. They likely have familiarity with the groom as well. These are not strangers. As a group, the ten bridesmaids go out with the bridal party to meet the groom. And it's at this point that verse 2 tells us there's a stark difference between five of these bridesmaids and the other. Or at least says that five are foolish and five are wise. Notice that Jesus uses the language we saw in the previous parable of the slaves who were put in charge of the house. One was called sensible or wise. And it's the exact same word that is used 
here in chapter 25, verse 2, of half of these bridesmaids. In fact, if you have the English Standard Version or the NIV, it makes it clear that by using the word, makes it clear by using the word wise in both places. This is the exact same description that is used above. The difference between these two groups comes out in verses 3 and 4. Why are they, why are half of them wise? Why are half of them foolish? Well, verses 3 and 4 tell us. And the difference can be summarized by preparedness and lack of preparedness. We're told that five wise took flasks of oil with their lamps, while the five foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. Oil, often olive oil, was the fuel for the flame. It was an absolutely indispensable element of the lamps or the torches. You were supposed to light a torch and keep it lit. You had to have oil. You had to prepare for that. These five wise bridesmaids teach us that preparedness for Christ's return is rewarded with entrance into the kingdom. And that's what we can just observe here. Or if you really like your alliteration, you can use the wording one teacher used. Preparedness for the parousia is rewarded with paradise. The parousia, we've used that term before. It's the arrival. The five wise bridesmaids are prepared for the arrival, the parousia of the coming bridegroom. And because they were prepared, they are what? Granted entrance into the kingdom, which here is likened to a marriage feast. We find that illusion picked up many places. It's in the Old Testament. It's later in the New Testament. It's in Revelation. This we might call their obedience of faith. That's what Paul calls it in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. And it's rewarded with this messianic banquet in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 10 we read, And those who were ready, those who were prepared, that's those who took the oil with them, went in with him, with the bridegroom, to the wedding feast. Those who have been washed in the blood of atonement, clothed in Christ's righteousness, renewed by the Spirit, will eat and drink and sing and dance with the bridegroom, with him who loved us and gave himself for us. We sang about that this morning. The blessing or the reward for preparedness is the wedding banquet, but it's not just any wedding banquet. It's a wedding banquet with the bridegroom. It's not only quite the feast, it's quite the feast with Jesus. You see, there are a number of descriptions of heaven and hell throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, and they make vividly clear the, the glory and conversely, the awfulness of salvation and judgment. But perhaps the most powerful image of heaven that we have is that of being with the Lord, with him, forever. That's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It's what he longs for in Philippians 1.23. By comparison, perhaps the most powerful image of hell is to quote Paul again, this time in 2 Thessalonians, to be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord from the majesty of his power on the day that he comes to be glorified with his people, those he knows. Those wise young women were prepared in the present because they longed for a future with the bridegroom. Not much else is said about the wise, but we do begin to learn much about this other group, this foolish bridesmaids. 
And they teach us, sadly by way of negative example, that presumption and lack of preparation will result in rejection. We see these themes of presumption and the lack of preparation and the interaction they have with both the wise bridesmaids and a little bit later with the groom. And we've already noted the reason why these five bridesmaids are called foolish. It's there in verses 3 through 4. It's because they failed to bring oil for the lamps or the torches. If they were lamps, they were big lamps. As is true with all of Jesus' parables, though, the issue is much deeper than mere forgetfulness, right? We know that. They're not being punished just because they're forgetful on this one instance. It relates to one's spiritual health, their spiritual well-being, their spiritual character. The wise person is prepared. The foolish person is unprepared. The oil is simply an illustration of the preparedness and unpreparedness of this group. The oil characterizes their overall nature. Ready and prepared for the bridegroom versus unprepared, not ready. And in this parable, it is the sole distinction between the wise and the foolish. The wise had oil, the foolish did not. The wise were ready, the foolish were not. That's it. Verse 5 notes that because of the delay and the lateness of the night, all of the bridesmaids began nodding off to sleep. And this is not regarded as reprehensible or wrong. Jesus speaks no word of blame for nodding off and sleeping. There's other places he does, but not here. Verse 6, however, jars them from their sleep with a dramatic, Behold, the groom has been spotted approaching. Excitement begins to buzz among that group that was waiting. The bridegroom has not actually arrived yet, but he's been sighted. And so the cry went up, Look, here he is. Someone in the bride's party has cited the approaching of the groom's party. So the command is given, go out to meet him. And this is where the bridesmaids are just step into action. The bridegroom is the center of attention and they should give him the appropriate welcome. The lighting of the torches. The shout did get immediate attention. All ten jump up together. Again, at this point in this verse, there's no difference among the ten. All of them woke up in order to work on their torches probably entailed putting oil on oily rags to make sure that the torch would burn steadily and give out maximum light. And so the bridesmaids all rise to trim their lamps of the torches, light them. And it's at this point that a realization overcomes half the group. They forgot oil. It had been unimportant to them until now when they should have been preparing, when it should have been important, it was not important to them. But now that the groom is here, it has suddenly become important to them, where they had been negligent before. Their wicks or rags without oil burned brightly for a moment, but quickly died out. The bridesmaids had one job, light the lamps and welcome him. And half the group has failed to prepare for that one job, and the realization is now hitting them. So what do they do? Verse 9, the foolish say to the wise, or more appropriately, they demand of the wise, give us your oil, for our lamps are going out. But notice how the wise answer, there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now be honest, the first time you read this or 
heard it, you thought to yourself, surely there was enough oil to go around. They could have shared it. Those other five are a bit stingy, aren't they? Now, why didn't they share? Don't true Christians love others? Don't true Christians, aren't they to sacrifice? Don't true Christians share with those in need? That's true. However, this parable is given to teach a specific lesson. It's not here to answer every possible moral dilemma or explore every possible solution to the problem. It's to teach one primary lesson. And what is the lesson we are being taught by their lack of preparedness and presumption? Jesus is teaching the importance of being ready for the coming of the Son of Man. And when it comes to the second coming of Christ, when it comes to meeting the bridegroom who is Jesus Christ, being ready is not something that can be shared or passed on. It is an individual matter. The foresight and preparedness of the wise virgins cannot benefit the foolish virgins when this eschatological crisis dawns. When the bridegroom arises, it is too late. They cannot help them. You see, these five foolish bridesmaids first think that these other disciples, these other Christians, will surely help them get what is necessary to get in. If and when the time comes, let's borrow from the prepared, is their attitude. But in this parable, Jesus places that individual responsibility before us. You can't count on another Christian or another disciple of Jesus Christ and their preparedness or their righteousness to benefit you on the day of judgment. You are on your own on the day of judgment. Children, you cannot rely on your parents to get into heaven. Right now, you may rely upon your parents for everything from food to a roof over your head to transportation to waking you up in the morning. But when it comes to standing before God, you cannot rely on them. You will not get into heaven by saying, my mom or my dad trusted you, Jesus. You must trust him. You must believe in him. Husbands and wives, you cannot rely upon each other to get into heaven. There is no relationship, no friendship that will protect you from wrath and punishment of your sins on that day. There is no other name on this earth other than the name of Jesus Christ that will protect you on the day of judgment. So off the foolish bridesmaids go to try and wake up some poor oil merchant and procure oil in the middle of the night. And look at Jesus' answer in verse 10 through 12 when they return. The answer of the bridegroom. Whether they were able to procure oil or not, we don't know. I tend to think they were unable and they returned in the dark and stood outside in the darkness in this entire interchange. Hoping, presuming, again upon the grace of the bridegroom. We read in verses 10 through 12. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in, went, went in with him, that is into his house, to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. In fact, in the Greek text, it's just three short words, emphatic. Now again, at first reading, just as you might have been bothered by the wise bridesmaid's apparent selfishness, here you might be bothered by the groom's apparent harshness. Why is the door shut? 
Didn't he know there, there were some who would be running a little bit late? Why does the groom say to those he asked to be at his wedding that he doesn't even know them? And what did those foolish bridemaids do that was so sinful? Why does the bridegroom answer with such an emphatic rejection, I do not know you? Remember again, these foolish bridemaids are not prepared. And yet they presume, presume that if they try to get prepared after they were supposed to be prepared, they can still enter. They presume that if they do repent and do show up, however late, the bridegroom will relent. They're presuming upon his kindness. They're presuming upon his mercy. They assume that there is no consequence for how they lived in the past. There is no consequence for their lack of preparedness. No consequence when they should have known better. These five bridesmaids think that they, if they can't get in on the coattails of the faithful and wise bridesmaids, the groom will surely let them in. Maybe they even place some of the blame on him. I mean, it's his fault, not mine. He came when I wasn't ready. He better let me in. Or they assume that the Jesus on Judgment Day is the Jesus of Christmas Day. A little babe in a manger, harmless, non-threatening. If so, they're terribly mistaken. On that day, it is too late. Jesus will not cry like a baby, but he will roar like a lion. He will not lie down like a lamb. The door will stay closed. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 5, Jesus is standing ready in heaven to judge the living and the dead. This is the sin of presumption. Do you presume upon the kindness of King Jesus? That's the somber reality this sad ending throws in our faces. That there is a time for everything under the sun. A time for mercy. A time for judgment. There's even a time in this life for late repentance. Think the thief on the cross. But there is also a time for too late of repentance. Like these bridesmaids. Well, before we close, there's one more very important character in this story that we've only observed from a distance. The bridegroom, Right? By looking at the bridegroom in the story, Jesus teaches us a few important lessons. One of the very first lessons is this, trying to predict when Jesus returns is a pointless pursuit. It's a vain preoccupation. The parable opens with the word then, then when, then in the future. When the Lord returns. We know that's the context because all you got to do is read back a few verses into chapter 24. There in verse 42, we read, Therefore, be on the, the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Or verse 44, For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. This is a reference to the Old Testament concept of the day of the Lord, which describes not just a single 24-hour day, but a time period where a series of events will take place surrounding the coming of the kingdom of God. And this coming time period includes judgment as well as rejoicing. We find both here in this parable, this story by Jesus. And Jesus tells us something about the time of the return of the king, likened here to a bridegroom, and what it will be like. The delay of the bridegroom in verse 5 was abnormally long. 
so long that all of the bridesmaids began to nod off to sleep. Jesus may have been providing a hint to his disciples and those who would follow that his return will not be as soon as they think, not quick as man counts quickness. In fact, by the time Peter wrote 2 Peter, he had certainly learned that lesson. And although Christian history, far and near, is littered with strange speculations and false predictions, Jesus Christ has made it absolutely clear that only God knows the timing of his coming. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows but the Father only. In Acts 1, 7. It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And yet it is still quite popular for Christians to claim some sort of end times clarity. Or to waste time speculating on the specific day, time, and place. I like what one commentator called this guesswork. Unholy horoscopes. We've been given neither the authority nor the ability to decipher the timing of Christ's coming. And that's one of the lessons the bridegroom with his unusually long delay and unexpected arrival teaches. Speculating about the timing is not the same as preparing for the coming. Speculating, trying to figure out the timing, is not the same as preparing. But there's another lesson from the bridegroom in verses 11 and 12. Notice that the foolish bridesmaids, when they arrive at the door, they cry out. They cry out to whom? The bridegroom. Now, you would have assumed that he was too busy to answer. I mean, he had the rest of the festivities and his bride to attend to. But again, this is a parable, and the bridegroom is the main character. So he answers them. And his answer is a stern response. We've already seen it. Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, what could that possibly mean? I mean, of course he knew of them. He had invited them to the wedding party. They were the bride's, in fact, they were part of the bride's wedding party. Sounds very similar to another passage in Matthew. For those of you who have been with us through the whole study, it takes you back a little bit. You may have to dust off the pages, turning back to Matthew chapter 7. The end of the Sermon on the Mount. Beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Begins to give us a clue what it means to know and not be, to be known and not be known by Jesus Christ. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He goes on to talk about the familiar parable or illustration of the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand which could very much be likened to our wise and foolish, prepared and unprepared. The refusal to recognize or admit the foolish virgins into the house through the door must not be construed as a callous rejection of those who had longed to be part of the kingdom all their life. Far from it. It's the rejection of those who, despite appearances, never made preparation for the kingdom. It was never important enough for them in this life. 
They are latecomers who are only interested in the kingdom because they waited too late. They're like those banging on the doors of the ark as the rain came down when only hours earlier they were mocking Noah's preaching of righteousness. The grace of God is often scoffed at until it is the thing that is needed most. Matthew Henry put it this way. They will see their need of grace hereafter who will not see their need of grace now. Only then it will be too late. Like the rich young man in Lazarus who cries out, realizing only too late his foolishness for not preparing while he was alive. The sobering lesson from the bridegroom is that there is such a time as too late when it comes to presuming upon God, especially for those who have heard the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, all ten carried torches. They all looked exactly alike until the time came to light the torches, until the bridegroom arrived. When that happened, the foolish had nothing to burn, nothing that would give light, nothing that would stand the day of judgment. A torch without fuel is worthless, and a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, without a saving relationship with him, without evidence of that salvation, is infinitely more worthless. Because one, in one, you're left in spiritual darkness, just as those bridesmaids were left in darkness outside the door. When you think of that door, I cannot help but be reminded of one who is called the door, the door through whom all must enter for eternal life. John 10, 9, I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. That door is open today, but there is a day coming when that door will be shut, whether it's when the sun sets on this life for you or when, if it's at his return. And when that happens, it will be too late. The door will be shut. No amount of pleading, no amount of knocking, no amount of begging, no amount of cajoling will open the door. If you are here this morning and have never walked through the door of salvation, have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you've never cried out to God for mercy, then do not presume another day upon the grace of God. Do not let that be true of you. Do not let this life, do not let another day go by unprepared. Do not test his patience for one more minute. The parable of the ten virgins is given to emphasize the absolute importance and necessity of being spiritually prepared to meet Christ. Whether that be at your death or when he returns to earth. Because either of those two events, after either of those two events, there will be no further chance for salvation. For the rest of us, maybe you're asking, how can I be ready for an unexpected return? How do I do that? What am I to be doing? Suppose for a second that a parent becomes tired of reminding their child to keep their room clean and tidy. I know it's a complete hypothetical. So they decide they'll let the child do as they please in their room. But the child must be ready for random inspections that will have real rewards and punishment. After a good inspection, maybe the allowance is doubled for the week. After a bad inspection, it's going to be taken away. 
And so the messy child cries out, that's unfair. How can I be ready all the time for a random inspection? Well, there is a way, right? They must be ready at all times. And to do that, they make their bed the minute their feet hit the floor. They put their clothes away or put them in the laundry as soon as they take them off. And Jesus says, let's reduce the whole story to one simple warning. Have your Christian life so in order that when you are surprised, because you will be surprised at my return, you are also ready. Be on the alert, in verse 13, is not be awake, but be prepared. Not a condemnation on all those who fell asleep earlier, but rather on the unpreparedness of the five without oil. In fact, we might say that the sleep of the foolish bridesmaids suggested their presumption, their false confidence, whereas the sleep of the prudent ones, the wise ones, might suggest their genuine security and rest in the Lord because they knew they were ready. 1 Thessalonians, when it talks about that coming day of the Lord, makes a comment. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do. He doesn't say don't sleep. So just in case you need some extra rest, he's not saying you can't sleep. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Let us be ready so that our sleep is genuine, is there and it's peaceful because of the genuine security and rest we have in the Lord because we've prepared. Are you busy preparing for his coming? Are you busy doing what he has instructed? Are you busy loving one another? We'll get to it at the end of this chapter, but one of the clearest examples that you are a child of the kingdom, one of the clearest litmus tests for that is do you show hospitality? We're practicing this month with one another. So, let us sleep with the confidence that we are ready. Let us go through our days with the confidence that we are ready. And then when we're awake, let us do everything and anything we can to be ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this warning, this exhortation. Father, I do pray for any in this room who have not walked through the door, that they will do it before it closes, before it is too late. Would your spirit convict? Would it overwhelm such persons that they would repent of their sins, that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ who came to earth and died in our place, a pure and spotless sacrifice? Because, Father, there will come a day when the bridegroom comes and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Only some will be confessing in darkness outside the gate and others will be confessing in celebration inside. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Let's stand as we sing, Be Thou My Vision.